folks, you know how No Pixels of Dark, we do a big Black History Month. We go big or go home. And we have a doctor's call coming to No Pixels of Dark podcast. I'm so excited. This has been an episode of making for over three to four months. And we're finally making it happen. Oh, I'm, folks, we'll be right back in these messages because I can't wait for you guys to find out who the special guest is. No Picks After Dark is sponsored by Snug Books, an independent bookstore serving Northeast Baltimore and beyond. In addition to featuring new books for all ages, the store also carries cards, stationery, gifts, games, and more. Visit snugbooks.com to shop online, learn more about the store, read our latest newsletter, and find a calendar of events, or come browse the store in person. Snug Books is located at 4717 Harford Road, next to Zeke's Coffee in Hamilton, Laurelville. There is free parking behind the store, and open hours are Tuesday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Welcome to the No Picks of the Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. I told you folks, I'm back. We're ready. It's Black History Month. And you know I'm starting off a bang. You can't miss this show. Tell your friends, tell your family members, this is the show you want to tune in on. Because we always talk about black doctors. We talk about, you know, making sure the health. You know, I always look for a black doctor for my men's health. And that's what, because they know my body. And guess what? We have a doctor in the house. And not only and a doctor will be the dean, founding dean of the new medical proposed, new proposed medical school at Morgan State University. Without further ado, Mr. Dr. Seely, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Dan. Hey, welcome to the show, man. I must have been, this has been three to four months in the making to make this happen. Yeah, I'm very excited about being here because I'm really, really excited about people in Baltimore knowing who I am. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. We, okay. We're here to learn a little bit more about you. We've heard about this medical school coming, and everybody's like so excited. I've had friends tell me, oh, I can't wait for this medical school. I can't. I'm so happy Morgan's getting it. But guess what? We have the dean right here, right here to answer some questions. Yeah. So yeah. thank you, Doc, for coming in today. Okay. Let's get a quick background about you before we yeah. even get started. Yeah, I'll, right? talk, I'll talk a little bit about myself. Okay, so let's talk about I tell people this is your show. Okay. I'll I'm just here it. hanging out. You know, it's very difficult to talk about yourself because, you know, <laughs> Uh, I'm a, I mean, I, I grew up in a Baptist home, so you know how that is, you know. Your mom is the, the leader of that home. So I think a lot of, when I think about who started me and what were the principles, I, I go back to my mom. My mom says, John, uh, if you're going to be anything, janitor, doctor, whatever, be the best. And that was the motto that I carried through all those processes. So I grew up in a little small town in North Carolina near Wilmington. The name of the town was Rose Hill, North Carolina. I was lucky to, uh, to get through high school. My mom was always at the school making sure that I, I did the things that I needed to do to prepare myself for an a academic uh, uh, career. Even saying to me that you can't be a farmer because your hands are too small. So <laughs> I... I went to New York actually one summer, my junior year, and I worked so hard, didn't make a lot of money, came back and I said, I'm going to college. So I, I enrolled in North Carolina Central University, which is an HBCU. I decided at that point in time that I wanted to be a doctor. And that pointed back to my history in about the sixth grade. I went to my doctor's office, and that time I was in the office, they had, uh, you know, the usual in the segregated South, colored, white. Mm. And uh, I went into the colored side and I go, I'm not going to have this. When I grew up, I'm going to be a doctor. So all of my patients can go to the same room. 
And from there, I uh, went to North Carolina Central, did the thing about North Carolina Central and, and, and how that school embraced me and talked about being the best and, you know, the Avis complex, you know, you're smaller, but you're always going to go ahead and try to be your best. I uh, majored in organic chemistry and mathematics because I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to major in something hard, crazy me. <laughs> but, you know, from there, I, I uh, finished my um my BS at North Carolina Central, went on to Michigan State University where I was going to be a PhD in chemistry and teach chemistry, believe it or not. When I got to Michigan State, uh, I, I reconnected with my, my desire to be a doctor. So I applied to the medical school at Michigan State, was accepted in Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, finished that and really had a, a great time. Uh, from there, being from a small town in North Carolina, I was committed to go back to a small town. I wanted to go back to my hometown and be a doctor in that hometown because I, I understood about all of the disparities that we had growing up. So that didn't happen because as a part of my, uh, my scholarship, I got the public health scholarship, and I, uh, I was assigned to Union Springs, Alabama. <laughs> Union Springs, Alabama is the second poorest county in Alabama and the 17th poorest county in uh, the country. Wow. And the things that I saw there were un amazing. Uh, surely I wanted to be, uh, I, I wanted to serve and I decided that I was going to be a surgeon because I was, you know, we, we did have a lot of individuals that that were general, general practitioners. I decided to be a surgeon. so. I left Union Springs, Alabama after two years, came back to Detroit, and then I became a surgical resident. I did general surgery, and then I did into cardiothoracic surgery. Interesting enough is cardiothoracic surgery is one of those things that you go, you went, well, my mentor and trainer at that time was an African-American surgeon. Mm -hmm. There was only about three African-American surgeons in our profession during that time. And I, had to, I wanted to train under him. And he said to me, point blank, you're going to be better than me. Mm. You can't be a general surgeon. You must be a, so decide what you want to be. You want to be a neurosurgeon? You want to be a cardiothoracic surgeon? And I decided I was going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. Not because I like hearts or like cutting in blood. It's just that we needed to jump over that barrier. And I wanted to be a part of that whole process of jumping over that barrier. So um, I went through the whole program. Then um, I was able to stay in Detroit. That's where I trained at, and practice in inner city and, and, and resist the pull of the suburbs because that's what they wanted me to do. Mm -hmm. Come on to the suburbs. We, you could, but I didn't. I knew where I came from, and I knew the needs. And while I was there, I was very, very committed to helping other minorities that they were lucky enough to get into medical school to pave the way, you know what I mean. And it's all about going through that road less traveled, mm -hmm. you know, you don't you get a chance to go through that. And so you, you help pulling people along the way if you can. So um, I did that for about 15 years. And then all along I had been teaching and, and helping. I decided to try something new. So I decided to go into academic medicine. So I talked to the dean of the medical school and became the director of student placement in Detroit for 
Michigan State College of Aspectic Medicine. So this, the kids would come in from East Lansing to Detroit. So that was kind of fun. So I was able to now teach 50 kids and, and teach them how to, to, to maneuver in the inner city because, you know, East Lansing is a, is a kind of a rural uh, area and don't, don't have the same flavor as the city. In that whole process, I had, I, I remember one day, um, I, was, I was the associate director of the general surgery residency program. I remember the director saying to, to her, her students, uh, as these kids grow from, from the suburbs into Detroit, into a parking lot that was well guarded, you know, all these rails and stuff, coming into the back door and never touching the city at all. Mm. And she was telling them, yeah, you got to get out of here as quick as you can to get back to the suburbs. So I realized then that if you don't, that I understood why kids never really stayed in the inner city. They never really practiced in the inner city. They just practiced in a hospital in the inner city. Mm. And I, I realized then that if you were going to get kids to be doctors and take care of people in the inner city, you got to train them there. So I went on from there and became... Uh, a director of medical education and a DIO for residency, for actually uh, four residency, four, six residency programs. And we had the largest residency program we called the Teaching Health Center Residency Program. Uh, that was a program uh, that the Obama uh, uh, presidency, what he did during that time was said, we need to train kids in the inner city. We need to train primary care doctors. And it was a program like this. I had six residents. It was the largest, we actually in Detroit had the largest program in the country. Mm. We had 85 residents. And I, I committed myself during that time to train those kids in the inner city. And so we trained them in the inner city. And I also committed to train them on the population health. Mm. Where you live has a lot to do with the disease that you have. Mm. You just want to learn that. So we went to the toxic, toxic uh, tours. And that is going by, you know, you, where does, it, where does a, 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 jar, a large majority of the population live square, near the incinerator, live near the refinery? And you saw all of the diseases there. And I had those kids sit down and hear things like, well, you know, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of our uh, the community presenters says, you know what, guys? I die so that you live. Mm. What does that mean? Well, in my area, we all have leukemia, renal failure, and all those kind of things because we're right beside of the refinery. Mm-hmm. And I can't move out because I can't sell my property. And they stay there for that reason. Mm-hmm. And so I'll make this make it a little more shorter. So I'm, I'm, no, it's good. So, you, I, you're preaching right now. <laughs> but you're so, preaching. It, it, it's so, all good. So um, I did that program where I trained those residents for about eight years. And I just knew that um, I wasn't able to do enough. Mm. We needed more underrepresented minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, indigenous population, anything. We needed more. You know, you, know, you had only about 5% of the doctors were, were African-Americans. So I, just, I told some of my friends that I want to be a dean. And that was crazy because I knew it as a dean. Now you can you can train a lot of kids. You can do a lot. So then I'm on this this uh, 
this this journey to become a dean. So where did it take me? Minnesota, coldest place in the world. <laughs> you know, I had to go there, but that's, that's where I could get the opportunity to do that. And from Minnesota, I went to Arkansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas, the last city on the, before the frontier, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the northwest uh, portion of Arkansas. Uh, I, I mean, we could talk about the stories that I can tell you about what happened there, but I was there for two years, and then... All of a sudden, I'm now, I have done all of the things that I could do to become a dean. And, and not just any place, but I mean, any place I wanted to. I have five or six people calling me saying, you know, you want to be a dean in California? You want to be a dean in, in, in uh, Tennessee? You want to be a dean here? And uh, one of my mentors, another man, uh, Barbara Ross Lee, uh, said, you know, there's an opportunity at Morgan State. Do you want to be there? And I said, mm, let me think about it. New Position, new school, HBCU. Nah, nah. <laughs> I don't want to do that, man. That's, I mean, why would I want to pull my hair out? Right. And then I thought about it. Mm, mm. HBCU. I went to HBCU. I didn't see my first black doctor until I was twenty. Mm. I I always said you got to get these young, underrepresented minority, especially African Americans, to dream again. You got to be able to touch them. You got to be able to touch them early. So uh, I thought about that. And I thought about all the times that I thought, touched them. And I thought about the fact that I could be in charge, to, as the chief academic officer, to train 180 kids a year. And I just said, hmm, that's really interesting. And I thought, thought more, Morgan State University. Think about it. It's a school, 150 years old. You could put a a a a medical school on that campus. You haven't had a medical school on a HBCU HBCU campus in 45 years. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, let's do this, and uh, that's how I got here. And uh, and it's been you know, and, and I, I like I like Baltimore because Baltimore is really kind of like Detroit, same kind of mentality. A little bit, I think Detroit might be a might be a little bit ahead of them, just a little bit in in some of the things that they are doing. Mm-hmm. But I see it, and, and I, I can see it, and, and my whole intent here is to have not only, you know, you have a couple of things. You got underrepresented minorities that are not going to medical school, and then you got underrepresented minorities that are not getting treated. Mm. You understand? So we, I got a chance to do both of that. And then I think that, you know, there are a bunch of people in areas and rural areas in Baltimore and all around that want to come to medical school, and they want to, uh, to go to Morgan. And I, I took that opportunity. So I, I went all the way around the, the world to get to, to this place. So I'm sorry. But that's what we're here for. <laughs> that's, that's what we're here for. We're here to listen to your story. Yeah. yeah. Understand that was the first part. And I really wanted to get that story yeah, out yeah, and, and yeah. really get an understanding of who you are mm-hmm. and yeah. the makeup of, so, the, of the new dean. We want to make sure we know who you are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, oh, you, uh, somebody might say, hey, I was East Lansing. So I might say I was in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You never know, and this is what it's all about. You get to know I, your dean. I just classify myself as a poor country boy. I'm just a poor <laughs> little country boy that just got great opportunities, and, and uh, I am planning to take advantage of those opportunities and help a whole lot of people as I come through that process. Well, folks, you heard the first part. We'll be right back with these messages. We're going to talk a little bit about Morgan, what the school, what's the school about, when will it open up, um, what. What, what can we expect from the staff going forward? 
Are there going to be people like myself looking like me being on the staff? We're going to ask those questions. Right back with these messages, folks. When you give to United Way, your gift could be the first spark of something bigger. It can help someone find, interview for, and get hired for a job and provide follow-up services for success. It can break down educational barriers and give that extra help to a struggling student within school support programs. Give today. Spark something bigger. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there's something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, online ordering, carry out, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Hartford Road. Open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m. Or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Carver Communications, where we turn water into wine. What do successful companies like Nike and Microsoft have in common? They all have full-service public relations departments that fuel every aspect of their business. Bill Gates has repeatedly said, if I had one last dollar, I would spend it on PR. Smart business owners and executives understand that to grow their businesses and their brands, they need PR. That's where Carver PR comes in. Carver PR is one of the most premier PR agencies located in Washington, D.C. They handle media relations, marketing, branding, corporate strategy, and crisis. With 25 years in the communication field, they are well-versed in every area of business you can imagine. Political, entertainment, corporate, and nonprofit communications. Go to their website and check them out therealcarver.com or reach out to them now at therealcarver at gmail.com and folks we are back I mean he just dropped some jewels and gems I had to take some notes down that's why I was like wow so thank you again Dr. Seeley again for coming to the No Picture Dark Podcast hanging out with us for this afternoon and we'll start off where you left off a little bit about Baltimore okay what drew you to Baltimore? What did you know about Baltimore before you got here? What did you know about it? And what changed a little bit when you got here that you probably didn't know? I didn't know a lot about the city of Baltimore. Okay. I knew a lot about D.C. I knew a lot about Silver Springs. I have a sister that lives there. I didn't know anything about Baltimore per se. Um, so um, my first indulgence into Baltimore was just coming here going to the hotel, and then working. I was working because a part of the process of, of building a medical school is getting places for the third and fourth year students to have an opportunity to have clinical sites to train and having doctors train them. And so I had to engage with doctors and I engaged with, with the health systems. 
So I was doing a lot of that. And also, I had an opportunity to meet some of the other individuals that were very important in instrumental in Baltimore. So I was doing a lot of meeting, but I wasn't really getting into the city. And, uh, and, and then uh, I, my, my, my PR person, Ms. Kirby, and I just started going to some different places. And then I began to really enjoy Baltimore because before you get all of these things about, you know, you better be careful with the Baltimore, this, be careful here. And I'm not used to that. And, and I did not want to do that. But I didn't also want to venture out by myself. But now I feel very good about that. So I, I, I didn't know a lot about it, but I'm knowing a lot. I know a lot about it now. I think more, a lot more. I've been here about a year and a half. Okay. And also, I did not want to really. I wanted to really do my homework, and not just come on the scene and have a lot of fluff, mm. and talk about something that is not really a pipe dream. This is not a pipe dream. This is a reality. This has to happen. How far out? If you can give an estimate, like right now, where uh, it's Black History Month. How far are we from possibly getting that green light, saying it is like go time, the first class coming to Baltimore, Morgan State University? When, 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 how far do we estimate, or what do you think? I think that uh, we do have a schedule, and it is scheduled. Our schedule says that our first class will be accepted uh, if, if in the proposed school, if it's successful, if we go through the accreditation successfully uh, in 2024. Wow. And we will have, uh, although the school is, will be hopefully accredited for 180 students, we only can take 90 okay. and ramp up. So um, we're planning to have those kids uh, on the campus of, of uh, Morgan State in 2024. Now, the excitement about it is I say the campus of Morgan State. Because it is going to be right on Morgan State. If you know much about Morgan, it's going to be at the old Montebellus uh, Hospital site. And we have uh, gone into a lease arrangement with Morgan to release a, a plot of land, about five acres. Uh, for, and, uh, and that's where it's going to be. We want to have a building that's 100,000 square feet, mm. looking much like the rest of the campus because uh, Morgan is a, a national treasure. And you got to really make sure that you build accordingly, and uh, and uh, it's going to be about five acres with parking and green space for the students. That was one thing that we, we did not want to not negotiate. Have the kids go out there. But the wonderful thing about that is that when those when when the students and I want to call these students my students come out of that building with those white coats, the other nine thousand students that are there at Morgan. Well, we have an opportunity to say, I have another opportunity. Mm. I can be beyond my engineering degree, beyond my bachelor degree, even beyond my teaching degree, something else is going to open up to, and that's going to be the medical school. So I'm just so excited about the fact that that we will have an opportunity to, to see it. They will have a chance to see it from their first year, see how these kids are. The second thing I, I like about the fact of Morgan is the fact that I'm really, really a person that feels that we have to plant these seeds early mm. and the early seeds are planted in about the fourth grade so I'm, I'm going to have those kids that I that we have in the school go out to these high schools and elementary schools and, and start talking and let people know because you know right now unfortunately kids don't see a lot they see all the things that the newspaper and everything but and I, I call that the nightmare of what the kids are doing now I think that when they go out then they can see that they can dream to be a doctor 
and you can be one, I think that's what we're going to have. So we, our intent to, is to have kids in more at in Baltimore, in in the surrounding area. Because I'm not going to say because we we're going to go in the rural area everywhere. Because this school will be a school for Maryland, not you know it's gonna it's gonna it's, it's gonna be in Baltimore. So it's that, but you know it's gonna give the people in Baltimore an opportunity and a chance to become a physician. All you need is a chance. Now, how do you th- propose to recruit these students? We have a lot of schools. We have John Hopkins University right down the street from here. You have University of Maryland that's down the street. So, like, you know, you're competing with these schools. So, I'm not competing, but you're all in the same pod together. But how are you going to try to get recruit these kids to come to Morgan? Okay. And I, I'm going to – some of the stuff that you talk about is rhetorical. Okay. I mean, I think that um, – when you look at the graduating class of Hopkins okay. or the graduating class of Maryland, you might not see a lot of people in there from, from Baltimore. Okay. You might not. Uh, we don't feel that's going to be our... I, and and you got to understand, John Hopkins is a great right. medical school. University of Maryland is a great medical school. But I think that our intent is to, is to kind of do a little different dive just as Morgan right now is busting at the scene, uh, you know, uh, they have gone up to 9,000, over 9,000 students on that little campus there. Um, there is something happening in Morgan that people feel very comfortable about going there and they want to go there. So when you say, how are we going to recruit? I have people calling me all the time saying, when? Okay. You know, and, and I, I say, I don't know what you're talking about because this school is not even built. And I, it's a proposed school. Right. But and that gives me the impotence to try to make sure that it happens. Love so when you say how are we going to recruit, right now, um, for every seat, there's probably five to ten students that want that seat in medical school. Mm. But I think and the, and the medical school is going to open its door for everybody. It's not going to be a medical school that just uh, you know is just going to try to attract un. Uh, unrepresented minorities, but they attract everybody. But I think that what I want to do is give those individuals a opportunity. Mm. Now, secondly, we will have some uh, programs with other schools that are, that have underrepresented minorities. There are a lot of schools. I mean, there are schools in North Carolina, there are schools in South Carolina, there are schools in Virginia that want that opportunity. And we're gonna what we we're gonna have some what we call articulation agreements with them. That means that if you do real well your first three years as an undergrad, you can get into the medical school, mm. your, and that fourth year can count as your fourth year. So you get what we call a BSDO degree. Mm. You get your BS, and you and it shortens it, and it's less money, and it gives you it's called it gives you a pipeline. But not only that, you have you can have a BSDO degree where you go four years enjoy your college experience, and get into medical school. And we say that if you follow this this prescribed uh, uh, process, that you will easily get in there. Um, and then you have all, you know, you have those programs. We want to also have a situation where our kids get more. You know, sometimes you want more, and that means you can get a, a, a medical degree and an MBA, a medical degree and an MPH, a medical degree and, and, a, and an ED. You can do a lot of things and have, you ha, you now become not just one degree, but dual degree, mm. or whatever. So I think that that's the, we want to make sure that we give everybody an opportunity to do what they want to in life. This is all about opportunity. This is all about um, having an opportunity for a kid that n- don't have opportunity because you can see that. 
because you don't, you know, you have 23% of the population just choosing African Americans. You have less than 5% of the population that are the positions of African American. That might be something wrong with those statistical. So is it because of less opportunities? We want to give that opportunity to them. I like that. I like hearing that. I like that. I like the word that you're using, opportunity. It's opportunity. And I think that's very important. I think that's very important in this day and age. I want to go one more step. And the next step is that let's look beyond the eight. Let's look beyond the seven years. You know, that's four years of medical school or three years of medical school. And then your residency. And then you come back. And the population begins to see people that look like them that were born in that city. So I think that I, I always talk to Nicole about the six-year-old kid right now that's in the Baltimore public schools that want to be a doctor will go to uh, high school, go to elementary school, high school in, the, in Baltimore, go to undergrad in Baltimore and marketing. Then he would go to medical school in Baltimore. Then he would train in Baltimore. Where do you think that kid's going to work at? In Baltimore. Baltimore. And that's what you got to do. I like that. I like that. Stay, keep it, keep it here because I think that's very important. Keeping great, great talent here yeah. in Baltimore yeah. and serving. Like you said, you know, something like you said that was very key that I thought was you know serving underserved areas that you said earlier. Like that's so important. And I think you it was interesting. We talked about how kids are coming the back door and coming to school, medical school, then leave back out, not be coming to city. Yeah. I think that's very important. I always tell people, you know, you really got to understand the city you're living in understand what people are going through, the plight that they're dealing with, and understand it so you can have a better appreciation of what you're doing and how you're going to help them out mm-hmm. going down the road. So I really like that, what you're, where you're going with that. that I love mm-hmm. that. So. Well, you know, like, you know, once if you train in a portion of Baltimore that people say you shouldn't, I mean, you that community embraces you, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about the fear of that or, you know you just drive in there and they don't care what you drive the preacher drives in there they don't <laughs> care you go in I just think that you have to make that sometimes people go other places because they're not familiar with the place that you want them to go you're exactly right I don't and that's one thing I always tell people I'm originally from Baltimore mm-hmm. and one of the things was I wanted to come back home mm-hmm. and I wanted to come back and you know work in the area and then work with people and so I was, like I worked on a project that was near and dear to my heart called the Red Line that was in Baltimore, that was pushed away, politically or whatever motive it was, but now hopefully it's coming back. And that when that was a it was a rail project, and I cried when it got closed because I knew the impact it could make from West Baltimore to East Baltimore. Having that person who could get a job who lives all in West Baltimore who has to go all the way out to uh, Amazon's mm-hmm. or all the companies on the other side where all the trade and tire mm-hmm. point all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it got, for not not happening, that hurt a lot. So I love what you're saying about just the community. And I love I, I love everything you're saying right now. Well, I mean, it's the truth. And, and, and then think about the economic impact mm-hmm. yes. of that. And that is that now uh, all these kids that graduate and get through their residency programs, if the school, when, the, when the school becomes uh, a part of this community, look at the growth of it. Mm-hmm. Now you're having people that are really in the middle class. You understand? They're going to buy a little bit different. They're going to do a little bit different. They're going to demand staying in Baltimore. She's going to have more areas that they're going to. This is, it's, I think it's a, just a tremendous. It's just a tremendous process. And more than anything else, this is not John Seeley's medical school. This is not Barbara Rossley, who's the president's medical school. 
This is even Dr. Wilson's medical school. This is the people of Baltimore Medical School. Mm. This, you get a chance to say, that's my medical school. And so that, you can, you know, it can be like my mom. My mom says, John, I know what my mom would have said if I, if I was in Baltimore and there was a new school. She said, John, you're going to go to that medical school. Because mm. it's so important that you have, that you can dream. As a man thinking, so is he. So you can just get there and just, I'm just a firm, 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 firm believer of that because when I, and this is just, a, this is before, when I was in my residency program and I interviewed for that as a cardiothoracic surgeon, my, the surgeon that was going to train me says, you got to be 10 times better than anybody else. Mm. And you got to be able to say, bring it on. And the person that makes you say that is your family. Mm-hmm. You understand that supported you all along. That was one of my things my, my dad always taught me. Every 10 times better. Everything. Yeah, everything. And I, I asked all through life. And, I, and you know what? He, he, he kind of made me. He got a, that you don't realize, but... You know they 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 don't they don't even understand how they may treat you a little different sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you want? Wrap this up in a big bow. What do you want people to walk away with in our view when they from hearing you, learning about what's going to be happening in the future? What do you want people to walk away with? Because I'm going to tell you right now, this is part one of all this. We're going to run this back when it, when, it, when we get the green light and okay. do and do it bigger and better. We're not going to do it. We have a little studio audience, but. What do you want people to walk away with this? What do you want them to say? Wow, this this doc, this doc, he he's really going to be good. He's going to be then you know like what do you want everybody to say? Talk about Athers, because I want people to talk about this every after we leave. Ownership, opportunity, uh, health. Um, there are so many things that we have. It, this conversation isn't new. Uh, Sullivan had this conversation in two thousand and two. This isn't new, but I think that now you see an action plan. You see it taking place. So I don't want people to think that I'm full of air and I'm not working because all you got to do is is follow me around. You'll see that we're working. We're working as if this is going to happen. And my motto is that we, if if, if not now, when? And we have an opportunity and we're not going to let this one pass us. And it's not just for Baltimore, to be honest with you, although Baltimore will have, you know, we'll get the rewards from it. It's for the whole country. There's not, not, there's not been a, there's not been this type of hope for 45 years. There's a reason why African Americans particularly have poor health care. There's a reason why they have, their mortality is a little bit less. It's called the comfort. Mm. If you go to somebody that looks like you, it's well documented. You get much better. You feel comfortable. You know, you're going to go see your brother, you know what I mean, and you're talking to him, then that's a little bit different. You know, you might want to go just to talk to him, Mm -hmm. and they examine you, and you'll be okay. Rather than to wait and say, you know, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go to them. You know, you ask a patient, Who's your doctor? They say, oh, my doctor is uh, University of Maryland. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Johns Hopkins. Yeah. No, who's your doctor? I don't, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that's right, wrong, or indifferent. Because, like I said, they're great places, and I'm not really criticizing them. It's just that 
we need a little bit more, I think. I think. You know what I mean? Well, folks, you heard it here first, second, and third. This has been an amazing interview. Thank you, Dr. Sealy, for everything. This Again, he is busy, folks. It took us five months to make this interview happen. He is busy. Trust me. He is very busy. Mr. Nicole Kirby, thank you so much for making this happen. I mean, again, we've talked about this. I'm so thankful for this opportunity. Now, I can't wait for the viewers, the listeners to hear this episode. I think it's very important. And I can't wait to work with you in the future and have this further discussion. I'll be back and we'll be better. <laughs> All right, folks. Love, peace. We're out.